Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. We've got an absolutely jam-packed show of the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast here for you today. And because of that, we had to kick Adam Azer off so we would have more time for myself, Chris Towers, and Scott White to talk. Scott, are you excited for the show? Yeah, I mean, we all know Adam is the most long-winded of us. That's that's just, his mo. He just always like takes these long pauses and goes on these long rants and and just you know really tries to make the show all about him. So we had to get him out of there, uh, so we could really get down to brass tacks. What we're going to be talking about today: head-to-head categories, mock draft that we did yesterday. We're going to be reviewing that, looking at my team, Scott's team, our favorite team, which. It would be nice if it was different than one of those first two, but we'll see. Uh, Biggest (laughs) surprises of the draft as well. Then we're going to be talking about draft strategies for for different league types, what matters in spring training, and of course your emails at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. But first, I want to tell you guys all about the Fantasy Baseball Today draft kit, which went live on cbssports.com yesterday. You can go to cbssports.com slash draft kit put in your email address we'll email you directly a copy of it and what it is it's a downloadable printable uh cheat sheet for your draft we've got scott and i sleepers breakouts and busts uh multi-position eligibility cheat sheet scott's tiers scott's rankings scott auction values for head-to-head and roto leagues so you can bring it into your draft room it's the next best thing to having scott and i drafting with you I guess. So again, cbssports.com slash draft kit. Also go to cbssports.com slash newsletter and sign up for the Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter so you can get our content directly in your inbox every single day. And also you should check out Scott White's uh, Fantasy Baseball cheat sheet that just went up yesterday that basically is just a a compilation of basically everything you need. Everything we've written. Here, pretty leading much. up to the start of the season. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, some of that stuff gets buried. Some of our best content, I feel like, we tend to write earlier, and then it gets buried. And uh, this is this is a way to make sure it doesn't. It's it's You go to that page, and you'll be linked to everything. Yeah, it's great. But also, the draft kit is great. Like, the draft kit, there are... We get a lot of requests for printable materials, and that's... That's probably the best way to go about it is downloading that draft kit, printing it out, taking it with you to your auction or draft, and then you'll never be flying blind. Scott, can you could you hear my cat just now? I could not. Okay, no, she, I saw him. She's decided to jump up on the chair that I'm sitting on and and yell at me while I'm doing the podcast. So if you if you hear any tiny little meows, she still hasn't developed her big cat meows. So that's what that is. Don't be alarmed. No cats were harmed in the making of this podcast. Now let's move on to our final head-to-head categories mock draft. We did this on Tuesday afternoon, March 10th, so 16 days before the start of the season. And this is a uh, Yahoo-style mock draft, right, Scott? Yep. Yep, bunch of Yahoos. That's what we tried to be yesterday. And uh, that basically means... So we have our standard head-to-head lineup, which is... Catcher, first base, second base, third base, shortstop, three outfielders, utility, five starting pitchers, and two relief pitchers. Yahoo adds an extra utility spot, so there's two instead of one. Kind of makes it easier to draft those DH-only guys. And also, it divides its pitching up so that you're required to start two starting pitchers, you're required to start three, uh, sorry, two relief pitchers, two starting pitchers, two relief pitchers, and then there are four flex pitcher spots to allow for kind of the diversity and strategy that uh, that head-to-head category leagues are known for. You know, are you going to punt wins and strikeouts? Are you going to punt saves? Are you How, how are you going to arrange your pitching staff that way? And, uh, you know, there, there is a 25-inning weekly minimum so mm-hmm. that you can't just 
entirely ignore starting pitchers, you probably have to start three, four to be on the safe side. Well, but beyond that... Yeah, you got eight um, pitcher spots. They've got to average, like, what, three and a third innings to get you to 25? Yeah, but you really don't want to fall yeah, short. You probably the penalty want, is huge. You probably need short. at least two. Yeah. Uh, so what you was, could maybe get away with two, but yeah, it depends how cautious you want. You to be talked about the the diversity of strategies with a head to head categories league. What was your strategy going into this in, into this draft? Did you have one? Were you planning on punting a specific category? Looking at your team, we'll go over that soon. It doesn't look like you really did punt any category. Did you just go no. with a broad based approach in this one? Yeah, you know I don't like punting categories, and the approach. Part one of the good things about the approach I'm taking to starting pitching is that I shouldn't have to nurse ERA and WHIP the way someone who takes a more standard approach to starting pitching would. In theory, my pitcher, my starting pitchers are going to be good enough in those areas that uh, it wouldn't be of great benefit to me to stack my lineup with relievers and help in those categories and so where, you're, where you'd obviously be sacrificing and wins and, and strikeouts. And so let's talk about your, your pitching staff to start off with. You got, I guess, four of your top 37, and then one guy who used to be in there. Uh, was yeah. Shane Bieber was your first pitcher selected, right? Yes. And then Lucas Giolito. You've got Zach Greinke, Chris Sale, Mike Soroka yep. as your starting lineup starting pitchers, and then Matt Shoemaker and Michael Pineda, so you could be, and very likely will be, going into the season with only five starting pitchers on your roster. Are you any worried at all about that kind of, I mean, we're not playing this one out, but if we were, would you be worried about that kind of deficit, or do you think you can manage it? Because you can only start six at the most. Yeah, and I have three relievers uh, Mark Melanson, Joe Jimenez, Brandon Kinsler. So that's that's definitely giving giving saves a chance, but clearly not investing a lot in it. Those are three low end relievers. So I have a full lineup. I, this is a format compared to head to head points where I'm not so worried about maximizing two start weeks mm-hmm. because it's 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 more about preserving ratios than than going shooting for a big total. So. As long as I can fill out a lineup with pitchers I trust, I'm okay with it. Now, obviously, Matt Shoemaker, I wouldn't say he's inside the circle of trust. He's been he's missed a lot of time with injuries the past couple of years. But when he's healthy, I think he'll be I think he'll be I think he'll be pretty good to maybe maybe very good. He's he's a sleeper we haven't talked about much, but He's, yeah, we definitely haven't talked about him. Probably haven't talked about him enough for sure. And uh, where did you get Chris Sale as well? 123rd overall, uh, third pick in the 11th round. So I've done uh, a handful of slow drafts over the last week or so since the Chris Sale news came out. And, you know, I had initially said I will, I'll take Chris Sale in, say, the 130 range. Then I got to the 130 range and couldn't pull the trigger. And one, I had the 130th pick, and then I had 143rd. And I think I passed on him both times. Um, I think he ended up going, you know, a little bit later than that even. So, 123. Now, those are roto leagues that you're yes. do, doing it for, right? So, those are 14 hitter spots to fill as opposed to the 10 in this league, which might make a difference, too. I mean... Once you get to the point that you're filling out your bench, basically, which uh, we weren't quite there in round 11 where I took sale, but there are enough. I, I knew there would be enough hitters left to fill out the lineup as I saw fit, and I wasn't investing a lot in closer, clearly, so I, I didn't need that pick for those. And uh, I, I thought it was good. I was happy to get him. I, I, it, it would be if, it, if that pick ends up being a total waste, it's... It, the impact on my season will be minimal. Yeah, that's something... But obviously, if it, if it works out and he's back in a month, the impact could be huge. That's something we've talked about a little bit, but I, I don't think... I don't know if people quite get how... Like, the the hit rate for a 10th or 11th round pick is going to be pretty low anyway. So, right. you know, that's a pretty good time to start taking those kind of chances. Even though, like I said... I've been too much of a coward to actually move on to that, move that <laughs> way. 
Um, it, it's it's hard in in those roto leagues with especially if you're doing like a 15 teamer. There, that's how, that's how I think I've seen James Paxton fall as far as he does, which. You know, maybe like round 14, 15, that range for him when his timetable looks a little more, a little better, a little more assured than than Chris Sales. Uh, he's not as good as Chris Sale, but he's he's pretty good. He'd be one of those pitchers who would rank among the 36 if he was healthy. Mm-hmm. And it's just you're you're worried about filling all those hitter spots. What's going to be left if you take a take a detour there for Paxton? And um, speaking of James Paxson, we're going to talk about uh, injuries from spring training later as part of our What Matters for Spring. We're going to be looking at injuries, velocity readings, new pitches, all kinds of stuff for spring training that has nothing to do with spring training stats because we're all smart enough to know not to overreact to spring training stats, right? Right? Unless it's right. Jorge Soler like you brought up yesterday. Unle- right, unless it's something that confirms your prior assumptions. But I <laughs> uh, did want to note, since we brought up James Paxton, that um, he said today that mid-May seems like the best-case scenario for his return to the rotation. I know we were talking about that yesterday, and you know there was okay. some hope that maybe it could be earlier, but right. he, he played catch for the first time today and said mid-May seems like the best-case scenario still, so... That's the one thing to keep in mind with him. Even with that, I, you know, if he falls to the 150 range, I think he's still worth that value. And let's talk about your offense, Scott. Uh, who was the first pitcher you took in this one? You had the third overall pick, right? So Christian Yelich? Uh, the first hitter, yes, was yeah. Christian Yelich. Uh, always a good start. Let's run through your lineup. Wilson Contreras at catcher, Josh Bell at first base. Jonathan VR at second base, Jeff McNeil at third, Corey Seager at short, Yelich, Schwarber, and Robles in the outfield, Mark Canna at utility, and JD Davis at utility. We got our, we've met our Mark Canna, JD Davis quota for the show, <laughs> and then you've got Jorge Polanco, Willie Calhoun, and Brandon Lowe, on Brandon Lau, yeah, on your bench. You definitely didn't punt steals. This um, no. You know, you've talked a lot about the steel scarcity and how that that and starting pitcher are the only uh, currencies that matter this year. But it often feels like you, when we're talking about your drafts, you feel like you you don't often go hard enough after stolen bases. And in this one, was it just a case of, you know, VR, Robles? Um, I guess those are your main two besides Yelich. Falling to points where you, you like them more? I think so. I, I think I think it was an, uh, an instance of maybe everyone else in the league not paying up quite as much for steals. When did I get VR? Was it 46 late? overall? What round was that? Fourth round. Fourth round, so the end of... Or early in round four, I guess. No, late in round four. Um, yeah. And Ozzy Albies, I think, went right before. I was about to take Albies, but then when he wasn't there, I figured, yeah, he was okay. Two picks before you. Let's get all these steals. I don't know. I, 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 I think maybe part of it is also that I knew. Hmm. I mean, I'm trying to put myself back in the frame of mind I was in at the time I did it, because it didn't. I didn't feel like a conflict. I, I think part of it is just I'd rarely gotten a chance to pick in the top three. Mm-hmm. And so the options become different when uh, when you get there to what to what you're used to seeing. And maybe players that felt like a reach before don't seem as much like a reach. I was more conflicted on the Robles pick he was than the VR overall. pick. Yeah, and that's that's round seven, early in round seven. It was... Between him and, uh, I'm trying to remember here, Jorge Soler, the big power bat, who Mm -hmm. is having a bad spring. It was between those two. And having already invested in VR, I thought I was further behind in power, but I also thought, this is a mock draft, let's see how it goes. I know power is going to be easier to find later. And I don't think I'm disappointed in the way the power production turned out. 
And so I, Solaire didn't come back to you. He went off the board at 88th overall, five spots before, six spots before your next pick. Yeah, he almost did. I was, I was definitely queued up to take that pick. So that was part of the thinking. Part of it, too, was I, I don't feel like starting pitchers were drafted as aggressively in this one, so there was less urgency to grab those. Like most, most drafts, I'm sure I've taken a starting pitcher in round four where I took VR. I, so I think it was just a, a, the circumstances of the of the league as opposed to a conscious effort to go harder after steals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's nice to be able to relax in that you know round ten, eleven, twelve range and not try and figure out a way to catch up in that category. It's it's I, I have to say I enjoyed that. All right, we are. We're gonna move on to my team, and I, I have to ask God: Have you? Did you see what I did with my team? I'm, I'm very curious of your thoughts. It's a, it's a not very Chris Towers team, but I wanted to try it out. There's a couple of very Chris Towers guys, but right. I saw because you tweeted it out, and I never miss a tweet, Chris. Oh, good, good. I, I don't I know, know how it's... you have time for anything else. <laughs> I don't know how you have time to tweet them all, but. <laughs> But yeah, I, I rarely miss a Chris Towers tweet. Twitter doesn't let me. For some reason, it thinks I want to see them all. <laughs> oh, you poor soul. So yeah, my team, I went with uh, a a super high upside approach to really the whole team, but specifically my offense. And um, we'll start with the offense. I've got Will. I had the first overall pick. Uh, I was not there to make that pick because I forgot that the draft started at one thirty, <laughs> So I was auto-drafted Mike Trout, which No, is, no, Acuna. Acuna. You got Acuna. Ronald Acuna, sorry. So yes. that's a decent outcome. I'll take that. That's fine. I, uh, I and, gave you Acuna because I heard you took yes. Acuna first overall last time you had the chance in a categories league. I did. So I, I was trying to think like Chris Towers there. Again, you poor soul for trying to think like Chris Towers. <laughs> so... My my hitting roster is Will Smith, Luke Voigt, Keston here at second base, Vladimir Guerrero at third, Tim Anderson at short, outfield of Giancarlo Stanton, Ronald Acuna, Luis Robert, and then utilities were Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez. It's it's exciting. There's a lot of potential there, and you know a, a handful of those guys, you know specifically. You know, this was the first time I've taken Robert. I think it was only the second time I've taken Guerrero, and it was the first time I've taken Jordan Alvarez. Part of that was an intentional strategy to to see what my team would look like if I kind of went with all the the super hyped players, plus Giancarlo Stanton, who everybody hates. Um, the problem with this kind of approach is when you're leaning so heavily into high variable players and I think I don't know who's the safest player in my lineup there's not a lot of proven uh, guys but you know if it hits it could be the best offense in the league the problem with the boomer bust approach is oftentimes half of them will boom and half of them will bust and you'll just be in the middle so what are your yeah. thoughts on this on this approach yeah, I don't often do it. There's not much of a safety net there. And usually high variable players, you hope for the upside, but bet on the downside. And that's why I generally like to wait until late to take them as opposed to early. I don't like the early ones, the ones that go early so much. Um, now, I have my share of Keston Hura. Jordan Alvarez, obviously. Kyle Tucker, who wasn't among your earlier picks. I presume you got him in like round, what, 11, 12? Something like that. Kyle uh, Tucker, Kyle 11. Tucker? First yeah, pick 11 of round for... 11. Um, so that's fine. But yeah, Vladimir Guerrero having Luke Voigt as your starting first baseman. Luis Robert, who knows what he's going to give you. It could be huge. But particularly... With the steals and, and the batting average, I'm not sure what to expect. So I, I want to do it. There, I guess the argument for it, particularly if you're somebody who plays for you know money, 
you're in, you're in it for the stakes. Yeah. Then you're in uh, an NFBC or one or yeah. So don't you don't want to play for fourth place or whatever. I I that's the argument for it, but that's that's not that's not why I play fantasy baseball personally. I, I've got, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I think there are basically fantasy baseball attracts three types of people. People who really like baseball and really like numbers, and so it just seems like a natural fit. They like the analytical aspect of it. There's people who see it as a way to make money over something they already like. And then there's people who just like competing and like winning and really, really hate losing. And I think I fall into that third bucket. Like I do not like losing. (laughs) I am not willing to sell out so hard for upside that I finish in last place. That just... It, it pains me deep inside for that to happen. I want to be in it till the end. And so I can't take this approach. You know, that's funny. I, you, you say those. I'm definitely in the first category. I don't really have that, uh, that competitive streak. When it, like I, I never had it. I, I, you know, I don't get mad when I lose in sports. I don't get mad when my team loses. Uh, so, so that's interesting that you brought that up. Um, Part of my approach in this one was mostly just this is probably the 20th draft we've done for 2020, maybe more. And sometimes you just want to see what happens. And also some of the guys were just, you know, good values. We're going to talk a little bit later about some of the biggest surprises. And one of the ones that stood out for me was Vladimir Guerrero still being there at 73rd overall. Uh, he's someone who tends to go more in the 50 range. And so yeah. that's a spot, you know, when I've taken him, the one time I took him before, I think it was in that 50 range. And so uh, once he was there for me, I kind of did pivot more to this strategy. And, you know, the one thing I, I will say about my team is I think I did a pretty good job of building up my pitching staff despite going much heavier on hitting. The one thing I don't have is saves. I drafted Edwin Diaz in like the 12th round and, Looking back, I should have just punted saves and gone with another player because uh, he's the only reliever that I have. My my pitching staff is Patrick Corbin and Noah Syndergaard is my top two. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, Jesus Lazardo, Kenta Maeda, Edwin Diaz, Herman Marquez, Mitch Keller. And then on the bench, I've got Garrett Richards and Jose Arquiti. So I don't quite have uh, four of your top 36. Do I have three? Is Lazardo in there? He is not okay. because I give him no chance of meeting the innings requirement. Though, while he's pitching, he he could perform like that. I mean, he's and, looked so good in the spring. Yeah, yeah. And looks... Maeda's not in there either, right? No, he's not. Uh, he's not. Maybe though he should be. Well, there may be the upside there, but I don't want to. I don't want to presume the innings. There's hope that he'll get more of a true starters workload now that he's not under the Dodgers thumb in their, um, you know, the, the contract incentives that their pitching depth gave them the ability to exploit. I think the twins will have to lean on Kenta Maeda harder and, and maybe he'll approach 200 innings because of that. If, if so, then he, he probably would be toward the back end of, uh, the high-end trustworthy pitchers but just based on what we've seen in the majors i can't i can't assume that for him all right and uh do you have a favorite team i know you wrote up the the write-up for this one was there one team that stood out for you besides scott white's yeah so i didn't really take the team dissection angle when i was writing it up Mm -hmm. and um so I didn't I didn't get a chance to explore them fully, um, and this might be difficult to sum up on the fly here because That's you have okay. to weigh different categories. Do you have a favorite team? No, I don't. So let's move <laughs> okay. on. Okay. All right. Uh, I want to talk about you know bef- close out the draft the draft discussion with just some of the surprises in the draft. You know some of the stuff that stood out, and I think in the in the first round, one thing that really stood out was this was a league where Trevor Story went sixth overall, and it's something that I've seen, something that I've defended, and I, I don't think you're quite as on board with that, are you? Trevor Story in, in the first round, you yes, said? sixth overall. Sixth overall. 
I, I don't rank him sixth overall, so no. Uh, I, I I would take Garrett Cole ahead of him. We're talking categories, leagues. Mm-hmm. I would take Tra- uh, Trey Turner ahead of him because if you're if you're paying up for steals, make sure it's somebody who for sure is going to give you steals. Is kind of my thinking there. I have Story tenth overall in this format. Sure. So behind Lindor, behind Colin Turner, like I said, and also behind Alex Bregman, who whose steals potential I think is being maybe overlooked a little bit. And just as a hitter, I mean, yeah, he. There's no comparison there. there yeah, there's think, few hitters who compared to Bregman. I took Bregman tenth overall in a points league. Was thrilled about that yesterday. Um, the other thing, it seemed like there were really good hitter. You know, you talked about pitching not getting pushed up quite as much, but there were some really really good hitter values in the third or fourth range, and particularly the fourth. You you look at the opening of the fourth round. You've got Xander Bogarts at thirty seven. Uh, Glaber Torres at 38, Cattell Marte at 39, Pete Alonso at 40, Jose Altuve at 41. That run feels like just bang on values each time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, because of it, it, it's not like there were a ton of hitters who went ahead of them who shouldn't. I think like Charlie Blackman went ahead of that group, Rafael Devers went ahead of that group, Bryce Harper went ahead of that group, George Springer went ahead of that group. You can quibble with all of those. Um, but it just feels like that Bogarts, Torres, Cattell Marte, Pete Alonso, Jose Altuve run to open the fourth round was just great value. What do you think of that? Yeah, and I think it's another side effect of pitchers going earlier than those of us who've played fantasy baseball for a long time are, are used to seeing because just the round before there was Kershaw, there was Giolito. Yeah. This is round three, early round three. Charlie Morton, uh, Justin Verlander, who's uh, you know has the questionable timetable now. I thought he would last longer than round three. He did not. Luis Castillo, Aaron Nola, who, by the way, himself is now questionable for opening day because he's recovering from illness. So, yeah, I mean, half of those guys could drop to round four, theoretically, in, in your league, and then that would allow all those hitters back in there. But yeah, I do think like Atel Marte, I would definitely take over Springer and Blackman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alonzo, I think most people would, though you and I are probably on the lower end when it comes to evaluating Alonzo. Yep. Altuve, there's a position scarcity thing that might compel me to take him ahead of Springer and Blackman. But they're all... Like there, there wasn't a clear reach there, I don't think. Yeah, and then to discuss uh, just some of the, the injured guys really quickly. Justin Verlander, 33, you already said that, feels a little rich. I agree, although, you know, if this is the situation where if we get relatively good news on Justin Verlander's timetable, 33rd overall, if he misses four starts, it could be great value. You know, he could still be a yeah, top three be. pitcher. It could be. Uh, John Carlos Stanton. Oh, sorry. I want to leave no doubt that it's great value. That's that's kind sure. of how I approach these guys. And and often people are so scared of them that that happens. Like in the case of Paxton, like I think was the case with Chris Sale in this draft. And Justin Verlander in the third round just isn't quite there for me. Yeah. John Carlos Stanton went 72nd overall uh, to me, obviously. Because... I'm reaching the point, you know, he took live batting practice today. It's possible he could be ready for opening day. Now, that presumes a lot of things about Giancarlo Stanton that may not be true, like that he could avoid a setback. Um, (laughs) Or another injury. Sure, but... Uh, Straight biceps. uh, He is making progress. My cat's yelling at me again, sorry. Uh, And then Aaron Judge won 101st overall. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, because five days ago, Aaron Judge was hurt, for sure. He wasn't playing baseball, uh, but he was still going in the second or third round in a lot of leagues. And do you think this is an overreaction? I don't. Just hearing what I hear about stress fractures and a rib cage. I mean, that's not that's not something you can hide 
It's it's right there in the middle of everything that you're doing. Uh, now, if he, they're supposed to reevaluate him in two weeks as of Friday. So, you know, come the end of next week, if he's saying he's pain free and ramping it up again, then uh, I'm gonna have to move him back up in my rankings. But I'm not, I'm not hoping for more than like a mid-May return, based on what I know now. All right, and then Chris Sale, 123rd to you, and James Paxton, 140th to George Kurtz. So pretty good values there. Sum up your head-to-head categories strategy in two sentences. Uh, Okay, so let me just have an underlying statement for all of these that I want four of my top 36 starting pitchers. That goes for every format, and that is priority number one for me in every format. So just keep that in mind. Okay. In head-to-head categories league specifically, I want to make sure that I am impacting I'm impacting categories. That sounds dumb. What do I mean by that? I'm not summing it up very well, am I? Um, <laughs> obviously, you need steals impact. And I I guess the point I'm trying to make is you have fewer spots to work with than in a rotisserie league. So you need to make sure that those hitter spots are more impactful and you, you, you can't get sidetracked by these kind of players that are middle of the road in a few things. and You don't know exactly how the distribution of stats is going to play out. Uh, so it's just, it's just something extra to be mindful of. I don't know. That was a terrible thing. That was a terrible description. I'm sorry. Sum up your strategy for a roto league. Roto League. So this kind of applies to head-to-head categories too. Is that the things you're paying up for are high-end pitchers, of course, and stolen bases. And you have to take both of them earlier than you're comfortable taking them, particularly if you've been playing fantasy baseball for a long time. And you... They're a big part of what's forming your early round... What your early round picks are being devoted to. Is a lot of it is that. But the good news is there are hitters who are um, who performed more like high-end players last year than just the distribution of talent. Uh, like they, their draft status can't reflect it because just they, they just get pushed back because there are so many hitters who performed that well. So you can count on them being there and you need to really shoot for that upside later on after passing up the high-end hitters early. How many pitchers do you want by pick 100 in your Roto League? I want by pick 100, five, probably. Five of your nine, first nine picks, generally? At least four. Okay. What about head-to-head points? How many of your top 100 are going to be pitchers? Maybe as many as six, but maybe as few as four. You have to go even earlier for the high-end pitchers there, but uh, event once those 36 are out, there's not a lot of incentive to keep drafting them. So yeah, it just depends gone, how the distribution goes there. I think you had one draft where you went six starting pitchers in your first eight. I think that was kind of what inspired you to do uh, your stolen bases and starting pitchers strategy piece, right? I'm not sure if it did or not, but I don't think the rest of the the fantasy baseball community was on board yet with emphasizing starting pitching the way I was because I haven't been able to do that since. Yeah, for me in head-to-head points, I'm more likely... I mean, my, my strategy in, in a lot of leagues is going to be to try to find... Try to take what the rest of the draft is doing and find values there. And so in head-to-head points, I've found a lot of times that tends to be pivoting more towards hitters and, you know, kind of the more classic approach that fantasy players have taken for a long time is focus more on hitting, draft more upside pitchers late, and try to throw as many darts at the board as possible. I've moved away from that strategy overall. A little more, you know, I'm more likely to take a starting pitcher in my first two picks than I ever have been this year. But 
in head-to-head points in particular, I've, I've found that I, I think the best values tend to be when you focus on hitting early. Kind of what we were talking about yesterday, though. You're right, and that's what makes it hard. Yeah. Like, if we're just talking about in a vacuum, what is the right pick here? It, a lot of times in the third or fourth round, it's the hitter. But then when you pull back after the draft is over and look at the composition of the team, it's like, whoa, the holes. If you're just, if you're just counting holes, the holes on the pitching staff of that team are much bigger than the holes in the hitter spots for the team that went pitchy have, pitching heavy early. I think if I have a blind spot uh, as a drafter and as an analyst, it's probably that I... I don't know if it's a blind spot. It's just kind of my worldview is that I'm more pessimistic on all pitchers except for the late round guys. And then I fall in love with a handful of late round <laughs> pitchers. And I convince myself that like Mitch Keller and Dylan Cease and Josh James are definitely going to be good and I can rely on them. And so when I look at like my head to head categories league that we just did talked about, I have Mitch Keller in my starting lineup. And I would assume that would make you kind of queasy. And for me, it's like, yeah, no, Mitch, Mitch Keller's going to be awesome. That's, that's no high problem. volatility. Yeah, and so uh, I think that's just sort of a philosophical difference and maybe a blind spot on my part. Um, well, but what, you, what, is, what leads you to believe that about Mitch Keller, that he, you can have this confidence he is going to perform like a high-end pitcher is it just he throws really hard scott you just like the skills basically. yeah I, I just and so I, you, you trust the skills to play out i like with pitching specifically i i spend a lot of time identifying underlying skill sets that i think will play up and his in particular you know there's ace potential and sure, there's definitely ace potential. specifically with him and with joe musgrove and to a lesser extent chris archer as i've talked about I think all of them were held back by the Pirates' antiquated view of how to approach starting pitching in the past. I think this new approach is going to help get the best out of them. And so I'm very optimistic about that. But yeah, that's also acknowledging that things could go really wrong. It's just that I tend to be uh, more pessimistic about starting pitchers as a population. Okay. You know? Oh, what's... So you say you're you're leaning you're you're willing to go a little earlier with starting pitcher than you were at the past, but you're still largely depending on high volatility guys to break through at the end of the draft. Yeah, my and typical draft sounds... is like one top ten pitcher. Ironically, a lot of it's been Justin Verlander. So <laughs> it seems like it, yeah. Um, and then. Patrick Corbin has been a really popular pick for me. Charlie Morton as my number two. Uh, right. Then maybe someone from like that 30 to 40 range. And then just a ton of my late round dart throws. So you're saying you're naturally distrustful of pitchers. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of volatility there. There's a lot of injury risk. And yet you're not, your approach isn't protecting from that. Because I'm acknowledging it too, but by taking four right, it's just, it's just two, I'm it's different, protecting myself. It's different approaches to... yeah. Um, to that risk. You're trying to get a lot of good pitchers in the hopes that you will have some good pitchers. Right. My and, approach and is to pay less draft volume in the end. And, and again, it's changed over the years. I used to be willing to not take my first starting pitcher until the ninth round. I don't do Me that. Me too. Me um, too. But... That was... That was long-standing, like fantasy tradition. Yeah, is I, I mean, I I was on the other extreme. It's it's amazing how in basically four or five years' time, I've I've gone to now being one of the most vocal proponents of taking of loading up on pitchers early. Yeah, um, and look, it could totally backfire. I could. Uh, <laughs> The uh, the environment could change abruptly. The ball could be different 
and it changes the math and a lot of pitchers get hurt and so a lot of my investments don't pan out and I end up having a terrible season. I mean, I've, I, I have gotten plenty of pushback to proclaiming this as, uh, as loudly as I have. Um, so it's not like, it's not like I know what's going to happen, but I would say that where you are on pitching is about where I was two, three years ago. And I've just, I've just kept advancing that direction while you're kind of starting down that path. Um, so it'll be interesting to to see what, I don't like to use value words like advancing sky. (laughs) All right. I, 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 I think, I think what shifted it most for me was th- there are a lot of factors and you know, we, we could do a whole podcast on all the factors contributing we, we to it, but the, the big, the biggest one that contributed to it was the handling of young up and coming pitchers mm-hmm. because before it was like the way to, the way to attack the volatility of the position was to trust that there would be these breakthroughs yeah. that either we didn't see coming or that they got pushed to the end of the draft. And then the pitcher would break through and throw 190 innings and be this out-of-nowhere high-end pitcher. Like, you could count on that happening. You could count on enough pitchers doing that that you could make that your approach. But now, even when one of those pitchers is good, he's usually being handled so carefully that he's coming nowhere near an ace workload. Yeah, And... But there are there's so just few, no hope. There's really no hope of closing that gap. But there are so few pitchers making the ace workload now that 150 innings is the new 180 innings. You know, that's, that's enough, one of the things. Enough still are, and they're just further ahead now than they used to be. Hopefully. All right, we're going to move on to spring storylines. We're also going to try to get to some of your emails before the end of the show. Fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. Spring storylines. Scott, you write a spring notes column two or three times a week through the beginning of the season i've had a running list of uh, a story called what matters for spring where i'm looking at injuries new pitches swing changes lineup news position battles and prospects gaining hype and so wanted to focus on some of that stuff a lot of injuries a lot of stuff we've talked about but uh wanted to give some some updates on some of this stuff so you know right now we're kind of in a holding pattern for Justin Verlander and Chris Sale. Jordan Alvarez, Jordan Alvarez is dealing with a knee issue, likely to be back in the lineup by this weekend, right? I think that may have changed just yesterday. Ah. Uh, Dusty Baker expressed some concern that he might not be ready for the season. Alvarez. I mean, it's, which, it's concerning. He's 22 it, years it old. Is. He's only played one season in his career. Now, part of that was he was in uh, partial season rookie ball for a year, but, you know, 2018, I think he only played 90 games. He made it through most of last season, uh, did deal with a knee issue at one point, but now, after a long off-season off, he is dealing with yeah. knee issues. That's He's, a concern. He said he was playing through it last year, mm-hmm. which is amazing, considering. But also and... concerning. Yes. Yeah. He he says as long as he, as long as he uh, warms up properly, it shouldn't be an issue. But I guess now he's, it's 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 in such a bad state that he needs this recovery time, and so he may not be recovered in time. But it's just yeah, it's just strange that somebody so young is having this kind of chronic issue, and what kind of underlying, yeah. Uh, what what's going on underneath there is something that eventually they'll want to get to the bottom of. And, and it does seem like there's a chance that it just ends up completely sidetracking his season because he never gets quite right. And that's, that's scary. I would not count on him getting outfield eligibility. At this no, point. no. Uh, he and Dusty Baker both said or- originally that they wanted him to play more outfield this year, but it, it just seems like they're going to need to protect the knees yeah. too much. All right, some other updates. Mike Clevenger threw a bullpen as he recovers from a knee injury. Giancarlo Stanton took live batting practice today. Both of those guys moving in the right direction. James Paxson, as we talked about, played catch, but still looks like mid-May is the best-case scenario, as he said today. 
Hey, Eugenio Suarez should start playing DH this week. That's good news as he recovers from shoulder surgery. And at this point, are you expecting Eugenio Suarez to be ready for opening day? How are you treating him? I want to see him actually play. Mm -hmm. I would feel really good about him hitting a home run or two. And if he does, I'll probably move him back up to more like seventh in my third base rankings than 11th where he is now. Uh, right. But I want to see it now, right? Aaron, um, no, who's their manager? David Bell, another former third baseman, said <laughs> uh, said uh, that the swing looks right to him. So we'll see if he's right. That's a good sign. Luis Arias, uh, recovering from that fractured wrist, could play this week. So opening day, not out of the question for him. And from all accounts, the Brewers do expect him to be their starting shortstop as soon as he's ready. Orlando RC is having, well, he was... He started off his spring great. I haven't really seen anything since he homered like three times in the first six games. He has five home runs. That's two more. At, at last check, yeah. And he made some mechanical adjustments. Swing changes yeah. in an effort to generate more power. Was the number six prospect in baseball as recently as like 2017, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm so. not... I mean, two strikeouts and 25 at-bats, too. That's impressive. It's good. Yeah. I don't... I don't know. I, I think RC is clearly going to have the job from the start, and if he keeps this going, then that maybe changes the timetable for Arias. But I'm, I think that's uh, I think that's an unlikely scenario. It's a possible one, but it's unlikely that he's this good into the regular season. Carlos Carrasco dealing with elbow inflammation. That's normal for him at this time in spring training, so worth keeping in mind. Gary Sanchez dealing with a back injury. Uh, there was some hope he would return this weekend, but I believe he's dealing with the flu now, and so that could push his return back. Not sure if opening day is in question. Doesn't seem like it. But another guy who has dealt with a lot of injuries, surely it's a concern that he's hurt in spring training. And, you know, it sounds like JT Realmuto has kind of moved into a tier of his own at catcher for you, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. AJ. Not officially, but maybe when <laughs> Tears 3.0 comes out, Ooh, I'll be there. Tears 3.0, good tease. AJ Puck uh, returning from some, some shoulder discomfort opening day. A little bit in doubt for him. Griffin Canning had a platelet-rich plasma injection. Just kind of don't know with him. Still worth drafting the late rounds, but there's a chance he gives you nothing. Uh, Michael mm -hmm. Kopech made his return from Tommy John surgery yesterday and looked incredible. So do not forget about him. I would be surprised if he's in the opening day rotation. Uh, he's got about 15 days to get up to speed after coming back from Tommy John surgery. So I would expect we see yeah. him on a rehab assignment. But do not forget about Michael Kopech with your last round picks. Huge yeah. upside. Was hitting 101 miles an hour easy yesterday. I think his slowest fastball was 98. The command looked great. It was winning. Right. And but... that's, that's, that's the... That's the thing I think everybody's forgetting because if you look at the overall minor league numbers, I mean, who's dissecting the game log for Michael Kopech from two years ago? But Scott White. his final, his final set. Well, I happen to remember because I was writing a prospects report at the time. His final seven starts in the minors, he issued four walks in those That's seven, good. and his numbers were just incredible. And even uh, the four starts in the majors, it's not like walks were an issue there there wasn't really anything that was an issue until that last start when his elbow wasn't right and that kind of blew up his numbers but he he looked he looked like he was on the verge of something special all right and alex verdugo still dealing with that back injury hasn't swung a bat since august uh i'm taking him in the reserve rounds in a lot of my drafts uh 15 or 12 team but it's looking like we may not see him for a while now uh i think it's a stress fracture in his back is that right? I'm sorry, who are we talking about? Alex Verdugo. Uh, yes. So that's a concern. Um, but I believe in the skill set. I think he's going to hit for average in uh, a good Red Sox lineup. So once he's healthy, I'm willing to put him out there. It's just a question of when at this point. Probably not if yet. Uh, and then we'll talk about some new pitches, velocity notes, and some swing changes to keep an eye on. Swing changes are one of those things that it's really tough to know if they're real in spring training. Uh, it's more like a, oh, I'll keep an eye on this. But first, we'll look at new pitches and velocity notes. Jose Barrios talked about this yesterday. Looking to make his curveball more uh, vertical 
less horizontal, more of a true curveball, less of a slurve, uh, which you know might lead to less apparent motion, but might be more effective in generating swings and misses because you know it's always been one of those cases where he looks like he's got great stuff and then he doesn't really get the kind of strikeouts you'd think he would. So if this helps him generate more swings and misses, that would only be a good thing in my eyes for Jose Barrios. Tyler Glass now working on a splitter and a changeup, which is terrifying for opposing hitters because his fastball and curveball were so good last year, and he was so dominant with only two pitches. It's not clear yet if he'll be comfortable enough to throw those at the beginning of the season. He's kind of working on them a little bit in spring training, but something to keep in mind. Matt Boyd, his, he's looked really good in spring training. His most recent start was excellent. I think it was six strikeouts in three innings, maybe four innings. And he is throwing his curveball and changeup quite a bit. I think he had six strikeouts in his most recent start. I think it was yesterday. One of them was definitely on the changeup, and I think he might have had two on the curveball. And so he was mostly just a fastball and slider pitcher mm-hmm. last year and got so many strikeouts. It might have made him a little yeah. too predictable. Right. Now, he talked about that at the start of spring training because he just got pummeled by home runs in the yeah. second half. Or really over the final four months. Uh, of course, part of what we were crediting for his breakthrough was emphasizing his best pitch more than ever. Kind of the Patrick Corbin trick from yes. a couple years ago. Throwing that slider. Um, so it's what, what's the trade-off going to look like there? It's hard to say. I will say with Patrick Corbin, one thing that I think went a little unremarked upon with him was he also did in that breakout start throwing his he stopped throwing his changeup, started throwing a curveball a little more and used the curveball more like a changeup. Now he didn't throw it much. I think it was more like eight percent of the time, but it was just kind of a third show me pitch that helped keep hitters from keying in. And and I think in Boyd's case, the best case scenario is probably still throws the slider forty percent of the time, but throws the fastball less. I think that would be the change that I would want to see for him. Yeah. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, we've talked about this a little bit, but he's got his slider velocity back. He's throwing it in the 91, 92, 93 mile per hour range after averaging 89 miles per hour last year. That could be why his swinging strike rate went down, so that's something to keep an eye on uh, if you're hoping for a Noah Syndergaard bounce back. Chris Paddock has a new curveball grip. He's kind of experimented with it uh, since really since the miners start experimenting with it in the second half of last year. He's another guy who probably needs a third pitch, especially because he's a fastball changeup. Uh, needs probably a, a good breaking ball to, you know, really but He help. probably doesn't need it, but... To, to live up to the expectations everyone has, I think he might, because his peripherals weren't as good as the overall numbers right. last year. No, they weren't. He, I think his XFIP was over four, actually, right? It was right? in that range, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jacob DeGrom working on making his curveball uh, more of a show-me pitch in spring training. Justice Sheffield's ditched his four-seamer. Uh, will throw exclusively sinkers slash two-seamers. Mm-hmm. And he's credited that with uh, a little bit of an improvement in his control so far. Someone who's really been forgotten after being... There's yeah, a little he's... bit of top prospect fatigue with him that he'd been a, been on list for such a long time but never got the call up. Um, right. But he's someone he's, I'm he's drafting. He's looked great this spring. Yeah, like, he's someone I'm drafting late in, in my drafts now, too. Throwing a lot of strikes. Uh, I don't know if he's issued a single walk. And though two-seamers are kind of out of style because they're not as good for generating whiffs as like a rising four-seamer, 12 strikeouts in eight innings. Yeah, 12 yeah. strikeouts to no walks in eight innings for it's, Justice Sheffield. That's an infinite ratio. <laughs> it is. Which is pretty good. All right, and then some swing changes. Again, these are more in the realm of hypothetical, although I will say in Wilson Ramos' case, you know, he did spend the offseason working on generating more elevation, more loft with his swing. He had the lowest average exit, or average, average launch angle in baseball last season. Still managed to hit 280-something, like 286. Uh, didn't have much power. Was a big disappointment from uh, his very good 2018 when he... I think was the number one catcher on a points per game basis. If he wasn't, he was pretty close. And so that's a case where if he can just get back to that, hitting the ball in the air a little more often uh, could go a long way. He's available 
you know, at a decent cost in drafts right now. So Wilson Ramos went 222nd in the head-to-head -head <laughs> categories league. Now that's a one-catcher league, but still, that's great value. Yeah, I have a hard time buying into the 32-year-old catcher because most catchers sure. are just done by that point. Um, having a transformation. He still hit the ball really hard last year, though. Sure. That's, that's it, the it, one it would help if he was having a good spring. He's not. <laughs> All right, Eric Hosmer trying to hit the ball in the air more. Talked about that, uh, I think, earlier this week. Um, he's always hit the ball really hard. He's always hit really well with runners in scoring position. He always hits the ball really hard on the ground. So uh, if he can be more like a 25 to 30 homer guy, he's a good value in the 200 overall range. Clint Frazier has a new timing mechanism with hopes of generating more bat speed. That's a good sign. He's got great raw power. Uh, started to, to live up to the expectations a little bit when he got the chance last year, and it looks like he could get the chance to start this season. Yeah. To start yeah, I think the there's some prospect. The I think there's some prospect fatigue there, too, but yeah. in five outfielder leagues, he probably needs to be drafted. Timing mechanism would also help with his plate discipline, you'd think, Hopefully. in terms of timing it up to make contact. Seven walks to three strikeouts so far in uh, 28 plate appearances. All right, let's move on to some emails. As always, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com is the way to contact us. This one's from Matt. Gearing up for drafts this weekend, wanted your thoughts on insert sound of Scott White getting a text message live right here. No text messages hasn't today, Scott. Oh, he's jinxed it. It's going to happen now. Yeah, maybe I'll text you just to make sure we get it in there. <laughs> uh, wanted your thoughts on a former steel specialist once again in a hitter's park. What are the chances Jose Iglesias ca recaptures some of his Cincinnati magic hitting in Camden, thinking a cheap version of VR for a deep Roto League? I don't know what... Uh, I don't know if I remember I magic that typing. for Jose Iglesias. <laughs> that typing is loud. We all got you looking up something there. Um, okay, yeah, he was I, he was better than I thought last year. 288, uh, 11 homers, only six stolen bases. So I think, like, I could see him hitting 12 homers with a decent batting average in Camden Yards. He's, you know, he, he makes enough contact. The question is, can he get back to being a 15 stolen base guy? He does. It does sound like he's going to play every day for the Orioles. So, you know, someone to keep in mind in a deeper league, in a roto league. Yeah, I would not count on steals there mm -hmm. beyond five or so. And, it, you know, even in a best case scenario, you're st still talking about low end power by today's standards. So yeah, there's I I can't get excited about this, sorry. If you're looking for that type of player in the American League East, I prefer Jose Peraza. I think he has a better chance of being an impactful steals guy. But is he going to play enough because Michael Chavis, I assume is going to play more bouncing between first base and second. Okay. That's fair. It's a late round pick, Scott. No need to quibble. Okay. All right. Uh, James writes in, 6x6 six six categories, 10-team league. Seems like it should be easy, but he's having a hard time deciding between three of these four players. Marcana, Justin Turner, Kyle Tucker, and Nick Solak. This is a, a group of players you like. Two players you like a lot. Who are yeah. you picking? I can only pick one? Three of the four. Oh, that's easy. Mark Hanna? Well, yes. Kyle Tucker would be the first choice. But yes, Mark Hanna would be the second choice. And Justin Turner would be the third. Nick Leval, Nick Solak. Especially in a 10-team league. it's I'm not sure the ceiling is quite there for him to be so impactful. All right. Christopher writes in, I'm in a quality starts league, and I'm wondering if there are any high-end starting pitchers inside of Scott's top 36 slash 37 who are potential liabilities because they might not pitch deep into games. Blake Snell comes to mind. Blake I, Snell does come to mind. I think any of the, the any of the young guys really. It's always going to be a concern with guys like that. Um, let me think here. So, I I don't think it's going to be a huge issue for Mike Soroka just because he's no. so efficient. 
Brandon Woodruff, he's very efficient too. Like that, he was on a really he was on a limited pitch count early last season, so that he he didn't wasn't pitching deep into games at first. But once they turned him loose, he had an easy time. Does a really good job of limiting contact, limiting hard yeah. contact. Mike Soroka or uh, Brandon Woodruff. Sorry, um, Tyler Glass now might struggle mm, to get yeah. a lot of gla- quality starts. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a good know, one. We don't have a lot of evidence of him throwing more than ninety pitches. And given the fact that he dealt with a forearm injury last year, that could be something that limits him. Frankie Montas, just because the sure. track record isn't there yet. Jesus Lazardo has thrown six innings in a professional start one time in his career. So I would not expect a ton from him. Carlos Carrasco is another He's guy. He's not in that group, but yeah. Sure. Uh, Carlos Carrasco, another guy who just kind of with the fact that he's dealing with a little arm tenderness right now, coming back from that illness... You don't know how effectively he's going to be able to pitch deep into games. And I, you don't count Shohei Otani in that group, do you? Um, I need to check that. I shouldn't. He's being drafted in that group. He's not someone I would expect a lot of quality starts from. Either. Right. I shouldn't. I, I'm not sure if I've updated the number mm-hmm. since we got a clearer idea of his timetable. That's something I need to check. Cause I, as often as I cite that number, <laughs> that's something I need to double check. And then Hyunjin Ryu. Yeah, he shouldn't be. I'll, I'll throw Hyunjin Ryu out. The, the Blue Jays have already talked about limiting his innings. Don't know whether that means that he's going to get skipped in the rotation or whether they're just going to you know, limit him to, to five or six innings in most starts, but there's some risk there as well. All right, and then Mark from Birmingham writes in, Yankees suck, go Blue Jays. So I think you can tell where this email is going to go. I don't think I've heard you guys discuss this on the podcast, but the Yankees have a tradition of getting great pitchers and turning them into garbage. Why aren't we worried they will do this to Garrett Cole? Add to the fact that he's going from a team that has a reputation of of improving pitchers. There we are. Was that That, you, That was not me. Who was it? I want to see who it is. I want to call this person out. Was not ah me. somebody in one of my fantasy leagues letting wow. me know I'm up. Wow, not my wife this time. Uh, so add in the fact that Garrett Cole is going from a team that has a reputation of improving pitchers. Uh, Chris was dra- planning on drafting him in round one, but the more he thinks about it, the more I think it might not be a good idea. I think the Yankees will find some way to turn the number one most drafted pitcher into a dumpster fire. So, I guess the who are the examples of Yankees guys the Yankees ruined? Javier Vasquez. Right, like, we're we're going... Randy Johnson. Jared Cozart. Or, no, uh, Jared Wright. Carl Pavano. Yeah, those those are... like, more recently, Jay Happ was terrible last season, but he was really good when he first got there. Right. Uh, Sonny Gray has admittedly... Like, he's talked openly about how much the Yankees' style just doesn't mesh with the kind of pitcher he was. One of the things that I would keep in mind with that, though... Sonny Gray was traded to the Yankees. Garrett Cole chose to sign with them. So presumably they talked about that. I mean, you can't know for sure, but but also Garrett Cole's really freaking good. And I don't think he's just going to forget the things that made him great in Houston. (laughs) Yeah. Who's the last one who was this high end and wasn't a guy in his mid to late 30s, you know? Yeah. Uh, And... Like Sonny Gray's kind of, kind of an odd pitcher. He's had a really up and down career even before he joined the Yankees. And he's just been a different kind of pitcher every single year. It seems like. Yeah, like Garrett Cole knows exactly what he needs to do to succeed. Yeah, he sounds when when you when you see features written about him, he sounds like he has a very clear understanding of what he's doing and why he's doing it. And I don't think, I don't think we have to worry about. The only Coaching con- becoming an influence there. The only concern is he gave up a lot of home runs last season relative to the n- amount of contact he gave up. He's a fly ball pitcher. Mm-hmm. He will be pitching in a tougher ballpark, in a tougher uh, division with some really tough ballparks. So that's the thing to keep in mind. Is I, I, I could see a scenario where Garrett Cole has like a 3-4 ERA, but leads the league in strikeouts, wins 18 games, and is still an elite pitcher. It's hard to see things, unless there's an injury, it's hard to see things going much worse than that, and he should still have an elite ERA or elite whip even if the ERA does creep up because it's mostly going to be home runs. It's not going to be batted balls. That's right. 
That's so. right. Okay, so I am checking my <laughs> magical list of starting pitchers here, which has been reduced to 36 with the Chris Sale injury. Uh, but I think I was also originally including both Otani and I was cl- including Paxton, who I clearly don't want as my fourth guy. Um, I, you know, I, I'm happy to take it, but more as like my fifth or sixth guy. So it, this list may be down to 33 now. Oh, wow. The attrition rate. See, this is why you don't invest in starting pitchers, Scott. The attrition no, this is rate why you invest in more of is them, already so you can withstand there's them. So there's only 33 of them <laughs> left. 10% of them are gone. Yeah, I'm going to have to update this uh, starting pitcher strategies piece. All right. Well, while you do that, I'm going to let you go. Because okay. it's time to end the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Scott, thanks for being here, as always. Thanks for hosting, Chris, you're, putting together these notes. You're my you're trooper. Rock. Thank you. What a lovely ending to the show. Bye. Yeah.